Welcome to Writer Spark, the podcast with tips and tricks about fiction writing. I'm your host, Melissa Bourbon, national bestselling author, developmental fiction editor, and writing coach, instructor, and founder of Writer Spark Academy. Wherever you are on your writing path, Writer Spark has tips, tricks, and lessons for fiction writers. If you enjoy the Writer Spark podcast, please like and subscribe. It helps others find our content, and I really appreciate it. Today, my guest is Katherine Ramsland. Catherine is one amazingly accomplished woman. She holds multiple graduate degrees, and she currently teaches forensic psychology at DeSales University in Pennsylvania. She is also the assistant provost there. Listen to this. Catherine has appeared as an expert in criminal psychology on more than 200 crime documentaries and magazine shows. 200. She is an executive producer on the TV show Murder House Flip, and she has consulted on CSI, Bones, and The Alienist. On top of that, she's authored more than 1,500 articles and 69 books. I could go on and on and on. During our talk, Catherine talks about being ready for opportunities and how these opportunities come randomly. I love this, and I believe that so many things for me have happened in the exact same way. For example, when I was first approached about creating an online academy with courses to teach aspiring and current writers, the thought, frankly, was overwhelming. But a year later, I was ready to take on that endeavor, and when the opportunity came again, I was at a place where I could comfortably say, yes, I can do that, and on top of that, I want to do that. And here I am. Catherine believes in saying yes and figuring things out along the way if need be. You're not always prepared, but seize those moments. Make your own opportunities rather than waiting for someone else to open the door for you. I loved my talk with Catherine and hearing her take on the weather as well, which is our actual topic, the weather as a significant element in your fiction writing. I know you're going to love this talk too. So y'all grab a cup of something tasty, settle in, and get ready to ignite your writer spark. We are here with Katherine Ramsland, author of Ice Cream Man, the first in the Nutcracker Investigation Mystery Series. Welcome, Katherine. Thank you so much for joining me on the Writer Spark podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, let's just jump right into it with some background about your book. Okay, the the book series is based on a female forensic psychologist who has a investigation agency. She manages it. She has a team, and it's based on a lot of um, kinds of investigations I do involving psychological autopsies and suicidology and missing persons and cold case kinds of evaluations. So much of her idea, many of her ideas and much of her methodology come from things that I'm familiar with. Tell me a little bit about your background and what brought you into forensic psychology and everything that you do. Just, um, you know, it's so fascinating and, and really this, you know, the mind versus the science and how you bring them together in your career, which is quite an amazing career. Thank you. Uh, Forensic psychology was not on my radar. I was a philosophy professor at Rutgers University, and I decided to stop doing that and go back to school to get a master's in forensic psychology just because I was writing for the Court TV website, and I thought it would be interesting, and it changed my life completely. Um, Now I'm a professor of forensic psychology as well as a consultant 
training police officers, coroners, attorneys, uh, and writers, obviously, um, in this kinds of investigation method. I teach classes, uh, called one called Psychological Sleuthing, which is about the psychology of death investigation. I am an expert on serial killers and extreme offenders. I have a whole class devoted to that, as well as multiple books on that. Um, but the, the specific thing that my character does, and one of the reasons I wanted to write this series, is she's unique and as a suicidologist. So she's a female forensic psychologist who can do any of the things a forensic psychologist can do, but she has a specialty in suicidology, which means she also has a specialty in staged crime scenes, because suicidology and psychological autopsy bring together a lot of awareness of how these scenes get staged to look like accidents or suicides when in fact they're not that at all so she there is no other character quite like her i did a i actually did a, a mfa program a master of fine arts program where i explored forensic psychology in american and british fiction series and there's nobody like annie hunter Wow. I didn't even know suicidology was a thing. So that's uh, Hardly anyone does, even in the field of psychology. They often don't. We need to make people aware. And so how many degrees do you have? You are amazing. <laughs> I have five graduate degrees. And to that, I say, why not? If, if the opportunity is there, I go for it. Yeah. Well, it has definitely served you well in a lot of different areas of your life. As it has. Every every single academic program I've undertaken has opened doors in ways I didn't expect. So keep keep learning, everybody who's listening. Keep learning. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Okay, let's jump into our talk about the weather. Yeah, it's unusual, and people often don't think about how that affects a story. Yeah, yeah. How did you come up with that? I love weather. <laughs> I watch all kinds of videos on extreme weather events, and um, I read weather survival stories. And, you know, so I thought when I wanted to do this novel series, uh, I, I was going to set it in places where extreme weather occurs. And w once I had that idea. Then I realized when the weather obviously is going to be a character in in terms of the impact it has, it also becomes a metaphor for what I'm doing. I knew the the in the Nutcracker Investigations series, which is run. It's a forensic psycho female forensic psychologist who runs an investigation agency. She resides in North Carolina's Outer Banks. So that's sort of her base. But from but the reason this particular story began in Savannah and the low country of South Carolina is because of something that actually happened to me there. And even while I was writing, because I went down several times, um, the floods were happening and hurricanes and whatnot. So it was everything I needed in terms of what the newscasters would be saying the kinds of things you'd see on a television screen with the different tracks for a hurricane. And the hurricane was great as a metaphor because they're very unpredictable. We think we've got it all down, you know, and they're on a track and, we, and then they slow down, they come back, maybe they're going to turn this way, maybe that way. 
and I found a concept. Now, now Annie is a suicidologist. So Annie Hunter is my main character, and she's a suicidologist. So I, I found this interesting phenomenon about hurricanes that they that there's a possibility that they could commit suicide by turning on themselves. They turn the energy on themselves in a particular way, and it completely kills them all. Hmm. Which is perfect for what I was trying to do because with in in suicidology the type of death investigation that occurs is called a psychological autopsy and so she's an expert on that and she has several cases of potential suicide in juvenile detention centers and she's been doing investigations she's getting blocked um and so while all of that's going on as part of the plot a hurricane is coming in and so they keep checking on you know, is it going to, where is it going to hit? Because we never know, right? We, we have a kind of range, but that range can be off by a lot of miles. And when it hits, is it going to affect where she needs to do her investigation? Turns out, yes, that is, and it isn't the hurricane, it's the floods that come from that. Because once a hurricane pushes in to the coast and creates, you know, these um, surges of water, that sweeps down into low-lying areas like the low country um savannah places like that so so evidence could be lost uh, and so there that adds to the suspense so it's the same kind of suspense you get with a weather event if you're living in an area i don't know if you remember the recent hurricane that went through florida yes uh, you know, and all the predictions were were wrong about what was going to happen and how bad it was going to be but when you're sitting there waiting, there's this tension and there's also excitement that comes with that. So so putting the hurricane into it, um, and she's never in directly in the hurricane. She's in all the buildup, the potential for destruction, the knowledge of what hurricanes do, because she lives on the Outer Banks, which has a lot of hurricane activity. Right. So having all of that be part of her anticipation process um, and also the, the storm dancing because they take on um, cases with paranormal elements, often debunking them, but nevertheless, sometimes there's something there and, and weather events stir up the energy according to the ghost hunter people. So all of that's part of it as well. And, that's, and in that particular book, um you you can everything that happens with the hurricane every time there's a they turn on the tv and there's a forecast or or some description of its behavior it comes back on the story it's always reflective of what's going on in the plot and the characters and you may not even realize that when you're reading it because you might just think oh it's a weather event but it's kind of a subliminal effect of um, I, there are certain things I want you to pay attention to, and I'm using the way the hurricane is developing um, to get you to pay attention to that as a, an added layer to the story. So let me let's back up just a second and uh, talk about how you came up with this idea. Did you start the story? or plan it knowing that you wanted to incorporate weather as the metaphor, or did that come about organically through the writing process? Well, it started because a, a, a certain incident happened to me in real life in Savannah, 
that kind of blossomed out into the novel. So the, the heart of the story is about what happens at a place called the scavenger house. Once I knew what I was going to do, um, I wanted to add in the element of weather in, in part because I, I guess I, I've been writing for a long time and I've read a lot about um, how to use environment, power of place, um, weather elements to enhance stories. I already knew I wanted something. The most natural thing would have been a hurricane. Um, my second novel has a tornado. <laughs> but the, so once I had the hurricane and had and realized how effective it was for advancing the story and setting up suspense, I thought, well, okay, this is a trilogy. Uh, maybe it'll be more, but we definitely know it's a trilogy. So I want it to be the weather trilogy. I want there to be a weather event in each one that becomes part of what's happening and also is a metaphor. So, um, for example, a tornado leaves a path of destruction in a way that a serial killer does. You read that path of destruction to understand the kind of tornado that just came through, similar to doing profiling. So this leads directly to your forensic background. So you're a yeah, forensic well, psychologist, yeah. professor. So tell so obviously these this book series that you've started is very autobiographical in the sense that this character mirrors a lot of what you do. And then you're able to bring in so much of what you do with your forensic investigation and just how you even described the path of destruction that a tornado leaves in comparison to the path of destruction a serial killer leaves and how you're examining all of that information to create a profile. That is, I think, just so fascinating. It is. And, and actually, the series came from um, somebody at Showtime. I was pitching something else altogether different. And she knew some of my background and said, why, why aren't you writing what you do? <laughs> because that's really interesting. And oh, it's true that I do do these investigations. I have a paranormal forensic investigation team. And we've done some of these investigations. I also consult for coroners and medical examiners on psychological autopsies. I have a class called Psychological Sleuthing where I have my students learn how to do it. Um, and I've worked with FBI profilers. So my Annie Hunter, my psychologist, um, does thinks like I do, uh, debunks things like I do, puzzles about paranormal claims like I do. Uh, so yeah, she's very much based on experiences I've had and attitudes I have and cases I've come across. So e each of the, so far, everything I've written, there's two short stories as well everything I've written are based on actual cases. So I use the cases as a kernel to start the story and of course, fictionalize it like they do in Law and Order. But everything that, that um, she ha encounters is stuff I've encountered. Her team, she has a uh, cadaver dog handler. I worked with one for a while who's, who's similar. Um, I have a cyber a digital forensics expert who used to be my next door neighbor. <laughs> so he always gives me things I can work into the plot. And then I've worked with um, private investigators. So we have the other member of my team, Aiden, um, and attorneys. I work with attorneys. So uh, 
most of the people I have I bring in are based on my associates and my experiences with cases and some of my investigations. Wow, that is just so fascinating. And you've been a consultant from what I understand from your bio on quite a few television shows, including Bones. So you remind me of Temperance because here she is, you know, this very analytical person who's, uh, you know, debunking things left and right. And then she also has her fiction, you know, based on on her experiences. So, so. Right. Yeah, it's similar to that. Um, yeah. And I've met Kathy Reich, so <laughs> we, we've uh, talked about some of this. Um, it's similar in that a lot of it is based in, I mean, the methodology is based in reality, the forensic uh, network, the different people I have access to for various purposes based on people I've known. I've been in the forensic field for over 25 years, and I've collected a lot of associates uh, over that period, and some of them want to be characters, so that's nice. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of a nice combination of the m- many things that I've done with um, with consulting, not just for in forensics, but also in Hollywood. And I have, you know, a couple of shows of my own where I've been an executive producer, which has helped um, me get a sense of that kind of storytelling. So, yeah, it's it, it's like it all comes together in this this fiction series that I'm doing now. Yeah. So this is obviously very unrelated to weather, which is what we're supposed to be talking about. But how did you segue from from your academic career and that side to working with Hollywood and all of the things that you do there and, you know, executive producing the shows that you've done and being a consultant on the shows that you are and have been? Almost everything in my career has been a matter of being ready for opportunities that come my way and they usually come randomly. Like my Hollywood career grew completely out of an encounter on a cruise in Alaska with a former executive producer of CSI in an elevator. Hmm. We just started talking. We became friends. Years later, he said, oh, I'm working with Sony and I, you know, if you have some ideas at the same time, I had been compiling some ideas. So I was ready. And then I sent him some and the one he really liked the best was murder house flip, which I had sent him tongue in cheek. (laughs) It was based on something I had taught in my, I have a class on extreme offenders called dangerous minds. And I've been talking about a triple homicide in our neighborhood. Um, by the, by two uh, boys in a family who murdered the rest of the family. And a student came along and said, you know, that house is for sale. Mm-hmm. And I love design shows and I, you know, and true crime. So I put the two together in a way no one has ever done before. And right. we pitched it and, you know, and sold it and it's had a, two seasons. So that, that is just an example of how often it just happens randomly, but I'm always ready. Yeah. Yes, I can do that. Uh, I, and then I'll find out how to do that. And then I'll do that. So mm-hmm. I always deliver, um, always watch for things, uh, almost always say yes, if something comes my way and then figure it out. And a lot of the books that I've written have been like that random things. And I just say, I'm, I'm going for that. 
rather than waiting for someone to lead the way or feeling, you know, to like, what if they say no? And my motto is better to be told no than to lose an opportunity you might get if you ask. So go ask, because many times uh, I thought it was something was not going to happen, but I went ahead and asked anyway, and it did happen. That's amazing. So. And that's such a great motto. And do, so does uh, Annie have that? She says it. Always saying yes and being open to the opportunities that arise for her. Yes. And, and, you know, she, she is me in terms of my attitudes and some of the, she's snarkier than me and she's younger and prettier, but that's okay. Uh, but her her sense of things and and if she feels like there is an opportunity to give a hint about something or give a tip, um, she'll put that out there. So that that's one because that is my motto. And so she'll say it at an opportune moment. This is this is what I do because she's she's storytelling. She's like, you know, she's like her own Watson to Sherlock Holmes. She, she you know hears what's happening and then she'll give her attitude about it. Um, and sometimes that does involve a tip or something unusual in forensic science or psychology that people like, maybe you don't know, but there's a thing called, um, you know, inattentional blindness. And that's when you can see something right in front of you, you know, so, so there'll be all those kinds of things that I find fascinating in the field of psychology that she'll put out there for readers too. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I'm so excited to read this book. So <laughs> you've definitely sold me on it. Well, I um, hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and I love the setting being on the Outer Banks because I'm in North Carolina and I have a book series set on the Outer Banks as well. Oh, you and, do? Yes. Where, which, which part of the Outer Banks? Well, so it's a fictional island called Devil's Cove and it's similar to Roanoke. So okay. it's kind of modeled after that a little bit south, positioned a little bit south of Roanoke and kind of... Um, where Hatteras is. Right. Okay. Well, Annie's up more towards Southern shores and duck. Okay. Yes. So it's a great setting. It's a great place to have a book series unfold. And I have utilized some weather actually in one very key scene in the second book. There's, you know, there's this whole ocean scene in Nags Head and uh, the weather, you know, the storm and the waves and all of that builds the tension. And I hadn't really thought of it as explicitly as you have been explaining that uh, that you really can very intentionally incorporate weather elements to specifically build that tension. I think that's such an, an interesting approach for writing. And the more and the more you study a specific type of weather event, like a hurricane, mm-hmm. and especially hurricanes that hit the Outer Banks area, because uh, they're different from the ones hitting, you know, the other side of Florida or the Gulf, Pacific yeah. or whatever. They're different. So the more you study them, the more you start seeing these little aspects of them that work into your story, like the suicidal hurricane notion. I didn't know that at all. And they're, you know, whoa, that's very interesting and it's perfect for what I want to do. So so to my mind, research on weather is itself uh, a real payoff for writing these books. Do you feel like you have a lot of serendipitous moments like that? Because I do when I write. All the time. Yes. All the time. 
research will take me somewhere down some rabbit hole. But at the end of it, it's like this major aha moment that I needed. I didn't even know I needed, but it greatly impacts the story. And yeah, it sounds like that is woven into your process a bit as well. Well, I actually have a whole book just on that. <laughs> it's, called, really? it's called Snap Seizing Your Aha Moments. And it's not really just seizing them. It's creating the opportunity to have them more often is they're not whimsical. You can actually create your habits into aha producing habits for your stories. Uh, and so I count on when I'm stuck or uh, you know come to an impasse or something in a story or I don't really not really sure where I want to take a character. I'll go do my aha moment stuff, and inevitably it will come. And the reason is you've already put all the stuff into your brain. You have to now let your brain mix and match in ways that you're not trying to control. And when you let that happen, bang, wonderful things come out. And I had a blast writing that book. So interesting. All right. I'm going to put that information in the show notes so everybody can find that. That seems like a book every single writer should read. I agree. Because because a lot of people think uh, the aha moment or eureka, whatever you want to call it, is just happens at random it you can set it up hmm. and i have scientific research backing that up so you're such a fascinating person because you bring in sort of these inexplicable elements of life and yet you're very scientific as well so you you yep. have this marriage <laughs> of two sides of yourself which i i love and i find that so fascinating and i see that that comes out in your character as well because you mentioned earlier that she does investigate paranormal things that usually are debunked but that that implies that sometimes they're not debunked well you know and i've had reviewers get angry at me that i didn't label this to be a paranormal fantasy and it's not just because she's out there investigating and she's talking to mediums and what doesn't make it paranormal and and at the end of each book she debriefs and says here's why this isn't paranormal here's why this might or might not have been what we think it is because of the ambiguity factor so she debriefs like she she and Aiden the PI have a contest going to who's going to see a ghost first because neither of them <laughs> Neither of them have ever seen one. And, and so that's sort of a fun thing between them. Uh, and so, but at the end, it's not a paranormal book, even though there are paranormal elements. And that's partly because when I do my paranormal forensic team, I'm the, I'm the skeptic. I'm the ghost repellent. That's our joke. Because they don't come around me. Um, I'm not a medium. I, you know, and I don't buy a lot of the things that the claims that are made out there i will go investigate i will see if there are other reasons for certain things to happen which is what annie does so it's not inherently a paranormal book even though paranormal elements are present because they take on they're called the nutcrackers because they take on hard nuts to crack mm -hmm. including cases that other investigators won't touch because of you know the woo-woo factor and she'll take it on because if ghosts do exist, she wants to know. I want to know. Yes, I want to know too. <laughs> right? So, so, and she'll ask questions like, you know, why is it that the ghost, the, the ghost of the guy who is murdered comes back and says, I know who killed me. And then that's all you get. Why doesn't he give us the name? 
if all right. he can do is say, I know if he only can say a few words, just give us a name. Right. You don't need the rest. So she'll say that's her snarkiness, but it's also common sense. Like if a ghost can tell me where to go find the buried treasure. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, why me... not just write the name out on a foggy Right, exactly. Or... <laughs> yeah. And that has happened to me where mediums will tell me that a ghost is wants me to go do this and that. Like, I'm not doing that till they write out exactly where this is. And if they can't do that, then this isn't about them. It isn't really them talking to you. So that's my attitude and it's Annie's attitude. And she will freely take on going to visit, you know, like, like it starts with a missing kid. The mother has heard about these psychics who say they can find people but she can't be seen consulting them. So she hires Annie to go see if there's anything to this. So that doesn't make it inherently paranormal right? because the paranormal book already accepts a paranormal universe. Well, Annie right. doesn't. So she'll, I'll go watch this woman and I'll, or, and I'll come back and tell you whether it's worth spending your money or not. And she does, she's hired for that quite often. But then she herself also wants to know because she's looking for her missing father who everybody thinks has committed suicide, but she thinks he's committed pseudocide, which is to fake your suicide. Okay. Yeah. So she thinks she can still find him and it might be through unusual means. So she's always open, but she's very clear on this doesn't make sense mm -hmm. or these claims are not corroborated. So I'm not buying it. Mm -hmm. So that that's and and most of the things that she says are things that have happened to me or or things that I've seen people make claims about. Like there's a story where she talks about a pet communicator telling <laughs> telling a woman, you know, charging a lot of money to tell a woman how much your dog like hanging his head out the window <laughs> in the car. Like, or I could tell you that for half the price. Yeah, <laughs> I could tell it to you for free. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, so so Annie's always looking for authenticity, but she's very skeptical about many of the claims, as am I. Uh, so that doesn't make it a paranormal book. And at the end, it's clearly not a paranormal book. It makes perfect sense to me. Now, one of the things I do use is called remote viewing which some people have talked about being a paranormal methodology, but it's not. The U.S. Army used it, CIA used it for several decades for spy work and had some really interesting results with it. So uh, that uses some form of energy that we don't have a, a lot of understanding of, but that doesn't make it paranormal mm -hmm. or, you know, ghosty in any way. So she will... Uh, willingly use that if something is delivered by that method, but she will not say that's a paranormal method because it's not. Yeah. Fine line, right? Yeah. And she'll give the context. Here's why I don't think it's paranormal. Here's what the, what the army did. Here were some of the results they got. She'll give the context for her reasoning. So interesting. Um, all right. So let's hop back over to the weather for a little bit. Okay. Uh, so, First of all, what is your connection to North Carolina and the Outer Banks? Is it just a place that you like to visit and have visited or or do, is there a deeper connection to the Outer Banks? 
Um, I have visited it many times over the probably the past 40 years, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gone all up and down, you know, from from the bottom to the top. I've been in every town. I when I go, in fact, I was there a year ago at Christmas, Christmas Eve. Because I was down hunting out South Carolina places for the second novel. And so I decided to hang in the Outer Banks for the holiday. Nice. And as soon as I as soon as I get there, it's there's something about it. It's home. It's like I belong here. <laughs> I belong yeah. here. And it, it's not that anything significant happened to me. It's that it's just something about yeah, it, even though I know it's annoyingly crowded in the summers and um, there's just something about the. I love pelicans. I love watching for dolphins. Um, the sunsets and sunrises and you know all of that. I love the sound side as much as I love the ocean side. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is just beautiful. It's yeah, incredible, it, it, and you feel like you're on yeah. the edge of the world. Right. Yeah. And I and, and there's just something about being there that calls to me. So that's about the best I can do. I just keep wanting to go back and stay. Yeah. Well, I think we're similar in that respect because I feel the same way about that area. I think it's just really magical. Do you live out there then? or uh, We are about, well, we're in the Triangle area of North Carolina. Okay, yeah. So we're are. a couple of hours from the Outer Banks. We're about a little more than two hours from Wrightsville Beach. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, love it. That's, that's nice. I wish I were that close. Yeah, <laughs> it takes me seven hours to get there. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so you have the hurricane in book one. Book two is the tornado, and that's set in South Carolina. So are you letting the weather events? Well, the, tornadoes, take- the, the tornado's in Tennessee, actually. Okay, so yeah, so are, that was my question. Are you letting the weather events sort of dictate the setting or the location of where they, that investigation happens? And so she's hired, even though her business is on the Outer Banks, she's hired and travels elsewhere to investigate. Yeah. And that's, I mean, one thing you have, if you're going to have PIs, you have to have licenses in the different states, like, like lawyers also have to have, you know, get, get their pass the bar in different states. Right. Um, so Aiden does, that's her, her main PI. And, and so because the second one is a continuation to some extent from the first one, because the first one starts out with, um, she's haunted by the abduction of a childhood friend right in front of her by a guy in a motorcycle. Mm. And so the second one is her concerted effort to go find this guy. Uh, he's in prison, but she, but she wants to prove, and she wants to find where, where he buried her friend. She's sure he killed her and buried her. So she, so she's still going to be sort of along the path. Uh, and this had happened in Asheville, North Carolina, which another place I love. Right. My son goes to school. At, <laughs> I, my son goes to school at UNC Asheville. My daughter goes to school at UNC Wilmington. So and we're in the middle. Okay. Great. We can go to the mountains or we can go to the beach. <laughs> right. Right. So that that happened in Asheville, and she's able to draw a line. What happens is he has some tattoos on him that they are able to match um, to certain areas, and so she draws a line. And when she's doing that. Um, Aiden goes over to Tennessee because where do tornadoes happen? So yeah, the tornado dictates. Now there is a tornado alley up through the Carolinas because it has moved east, um, but it's more likely to have happened in 
Tennessee than the Carolinas. And because of where she's looking um, along this pathway, it made more sense for me to put it just over the border in Tennessee. So that's where I ended up doing it, in part because my father grew up in Chattanooga. So it was very easy for me. I know that area is easy for me. And I needed a prison connection near there. Um, so all, all of that kind of came together. So in a way, the tornado dictated where. But I could have put it in the Carolinas, even though I didn't think the tornado activity in the Carolinas was conducive to what I was trying to do, whereas in Tennessee it was. Also, the Carolinas aren't known for their tornadoes, so there's that believability because people right. think they know the area, right. even if they're not from here. Right. Yeah. And and but she but she always has. Here's what we know about tornadoes in this area. So. Mm -hmm. she, and she has a forensic meteorologist in the second book who, who has all the expertise on the on the weather and also has some really cool technology for looking for bodies. So I use all of that as well. But she she'll never just say, here's, you know, oh, a tornado happened, blah, blah, blah. She'll give a frame for the, you know, the worst tornado that happened here happened and went for this many miles and was, you know, one, two, three or four or whatever. Um, so she, you'll always have the frame of believability because it did happen before. I see. And, yeah. and so I always, I just feel like I, in a way that teaches readers, but it also gives that context so that they're not going, what? Yeah. Since when was there ever a tornado in South Carolina? Well, there have been, and there is in fact a tornado alley through there. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, it debunks the stereotypes that people have. You know, we lived in Texas for a long time, North Texas, and it snows in Texas, not yeah. all the time, but it does. Right. And we get black ice, and, you know, right. ice apocalypse we had when we were there. But people don't think it snows in Texas and they see Texas in only one way. So, exactly. yeah, if yeah. you were to introduce snow in Texas, you'd really have to give a framework and some context right. to show that, yes, indeed, this is real. It does really happen. And the thing is, you're pulling the reader into the fun of the research with you, because when you're researching weather events, there's always some some interesting, quirky thing about weather that, you know, your readers are going to enjoy as much as you do or you hope they are. And so I think that using that as a frame for your weather event um, is just is just a cool little factoid that that they'll enjoy knowing. Maybe they won't, but I think they will. So hurricane tornado what is the weather event for book three i haven't decided yet okay. i i have it in my mind as to what it's going to be but i haven't decided on the location i have one of three potential locations and so far i haven't really located it in the outer banks <laughs> so so um i'm looking for a abandoned large facility like an abandoned psychiatric institute and I know North Carolina has a bunch of those. Uh, so I'm just trying to decide. And I always decide where do I want to travel to? Because, mm -hmm. again, the research is not just reading books. It's going to these places. Like like in the second one, uh, I had to find out if a body could be placed along this, this path in a particular park. And no book is going to show me what I need to know. So I drove down and took the path to see where are there the right trees here uh what else could work in where can i put the body etc 
I love going to the places. So when I pick a place, it's got to be somewhere I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Makes good sense to me. So you don't fictionalize any part of the area. You wouldn't just throw a, an abandoned psychiatric hospital onto the Outer Banks because you need it to be there? No, because I'm immediately going to get readers saying, oh, that wouldn't happen there. Okay. You know, no, that's somebody's home. What are you talking about? I I, I live there. <laughs> that's my property. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I I try even I thought it was dicey. I, I have a website for the Nutcrackers and I put a house for, oh, uh, I on the yeah. banks. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm sure that's somebody's house. And they're one day they're going to say, hey, that's, you know, <laughs> but for now, it serves as Annie's house and office, and and uh, it's, it was a great house with a great location, and exactly the kind of thing she describes. So, but I but I want to be careful that there's credibility in what I do. So, you know, I can't just place, I just can't throw something out there uh, with the idea that it's somehow going to work. I will, and also I like traveling to find out if if these things um, can happen where I want them to happen. It's, I, I just like it because, you know, if, if your book gets to be popular or, or has a, a, a fan base that they want to see, I want to go to that park. I want right. to take that path the way Aiden did. I want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now they can, because there it is, it's described and it's exactly how in the book, how it is in real life. Yeah. That's, that's, um, so restricting in some ways, then I chose to go the opposite direction to create an entirely fictional island on the Outer Banks that's modeled a little after Roanoke, a little bit Ocracoke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I created the whole uh, timeline of this island and when it was, you know, became inhabited and it was through a shipwreck and rum runners and all of this stuff. That's so fun. that gave me so much freedom yes. to not worry about the other stuff. And even when my characters go to Nags Head for this, you know, during this weather event that I have, uh, it's very limited. You know, they go to the beach and uh, in Nags Head, right. which, you know, I don't have to worry too much about getting anything wrong. No, that's great. It didn't even occur to me to do that. That's a great idea. Part of this podcast is giving tips to aspiring and new writers and writers and anybody who's listening. So if you were to give a couple of tips about how to incorporate weather as a tool in somebody's writing, what would you say? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is um, decide your setting. Wh where do you want this to take place? Um, and when that happens, you have to see what are the what other weather patterns there, mm -hmm. and are there any aberrant weather patterns or surprises? Or because I'm I'm always looking for what's unusual. Uh, and so I think then you just do your research on the kind of weather there. And if it doesn't work for you, then change your location. That's what I would do. I would, I would, which I did with the tornado. Like it wasn't working for me to put it in the Carolinas. So I went over to Tennessee because that had a lot more, there's a lot more I could have done with it there. Um, so I think you, you kind of figure out where you want it and then what the weather event could be, but stay loose until you know the things gel in the right way and once you once you know what weather event you want or a series of weather events you want research there watch videos get a sense for a good example when uh annie and aiden are watching 
a tornado out in the valley. Um, there's there's all this rain coming hitting the windshield and I was watching a tornado person filming it and the the rain sounded like crumpled plastic like a bunch of people crump and I and so I described it that way and, and one of my beta readers said well, that's so strange but then I realized that is what it sounds like and I only got that because there's this guy who videotaped and and I got the sound I got the feel I, I could hear what was going on outside. So you watch weather videos, um, you watch weather forecasters. If, if that event is happening, find out what the weather forecasters are saying and how they're saying it and how they're presenting it. Find places in this weather event for suspense um, because that's the whole point of a weather event is we're waiting for it, we're anticipating. What's it gonna be like? Is it gonna be like what they're predicting? Is it gonna be damaging? What's gonna happen? Am I gonna get trapped? Um, you know, it might be an ice storm, by the way, for the next one. <laughs> so that's, another, <laughs> that's another one I, I have considered. But you, you research and then you figure out how, you know, you lay that against your characters because usually the, the weather event's going to reflect something that they're going through or um some growth pattern or you know or the something escalation like that of the plot perhaps yeah it can be about the plot um uh, or it can be about an internal struggle for the character mm -hmm. either one you decide depending on what event you're going to use you decide how how best can i use this as a subliminal reflective element so that while it's happening i'm driving the plot or the character development in some way parallel to the weather event. So interesting. I'm thinking about my nags head scene and I did that, you know, I have this escalation and there's definitely internal conflict, you know, that that's this um, story arc, but also a series arc. And then as the storm escalates, you know, and they're fighting against this, uh, well, it's an Irish, curse so there's there is paranormal in this series it's irish deities um but then you know there's the calm after the storm and that is reflective of what she went through and how how she came out the other side essentially yeah, right. so i did that subliminally without even realizing it now i think it'll be as i move forward and decide to bring in any other weather event it'll be so much better because now i know what i'm doing <laughs> Right. And I guess I think, and the reason it works is because it does work. Um, when you have that background, when you watch movies or something, you have that background, it does, it does work. So people sometimes just bring it in because it's, it's something they're already aware of. But when you, you make a focused study of that type of weather pattern, there are things you learn that will now enhance what you're doing in a way maybe you hadn't expected. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Is your book out? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's four of them plus a novella. Oh, well, I have to pick one up. That sounds like then, and then I'll have to go back to the Outer Banks and have a look. <laughs> right. <laughs> go find this place. Yeah. I murder and devil crabs. I love ghost crabs. They're my favorite. I just love oh, them. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, I have not incorporated them, but we, you know, we were in Nags Head. Um, gosh, maybe about two months ago, walking on the beach at night with our flashlight. Right, right, right. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, yeah, the first one's Murder in Devil's Cove. So 
And it's uh, if you're an e-reader, it's 99 cents right now. So oh, I'm going to get it. Definitely. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's great. I'm so glad that we've had the chance to talk and I cannot wait to get your book. I'm going to go order it right now. Great. <laughs> great. Really I, hope, I hope you enjoy it. There's yeah. a little bit on the Outer Banks, but most of it is, goes down to Savannah and South Carolina. I mean, Annie just sounds like such a fascinating, fascinating character. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to kind of get into her head and learn about some of the forensics that you bring to the story. So sounds well, incredible. Please uh, stay in touch with me as you're reading it. And you probably like the Low Country uh, folklore also that she... Oh, I do. Yes. Yeah, and in so fact... Unrelated to folklore, but I was down in Charleston a couple of months ago, and it was after the hurricane, and there were still a bit of storms coming in, and the flooding was unreal. We kept turning, you know, starting to turn onto streets, and we'd have to do a quick U-turn and turn out of there because right. there's no way my little car was going <laughs> to make it. And that's through. what happens, and Annie's terrified of drowning. I'm so enamored with your story, your background, all of your accomplishments. I can't wait to pick up the nonfiction book on the aha moments. What's that one called again? Snap, seizing your aha moments. Okay. So everybody listening, go get a copy of that because it sounds <laughs> amazing. So yeah, thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Great questions. And I'm so happy to be able to talk about the weather. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For all the weather junkies out there, this is especially <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're like me and like bookish and writerly products, check out the WriterSpark Tea Public Store. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you like YouTube, check us out there as well as our website. Come back for more tips and tricks about fiction writing and learn more about our online courses at www.writersparkacademy.com. I'm Melissa Bourbon. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy writing.